Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy. Good morning, men. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Everybody good? What's up? What's up? My peeps are here. Buddy's in the house. What's up, y'all? It's, um, it's a special time of year. I don't know about you guys, but college football season, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, man, everybody kicked it off this past weekend. You know, Tennessee got it started on last Thursday night. Y'all saw that beat down. Cardinals played this weekend. Kentucky starts off, what, when's their first game, Jake? This week? This week's their first game? So who they got, the Gators? So, um, oh, Kentucky already played? I didn't, they weren't on TV, I missed them. Uh, did, did they? They played? Got to get my ESPN Plus subscription updated, I guess. Uh, But that's cute. I'm glad they played. I just had to go check the box score, I guess. Um, Exciting time, exciting time. Hey, we got some good stuff going on. I want to make a couple, want to make one very powerful um, shout-out here. Where's David McCall? David McCall in the house. Give it up for David McCall. He's getting baptized after Man Challenge today. So I, I know uh, David's been through it, and uh, we're, we're, we're proud of you, bro. And uh, JJ, um, and uh, leading them and loving on them, and that's what this deal's all about. So congratulations, man. What a, what a, never, never make a bigger decision than that, so congratulations. Uh, we had a dude at our table, Michael Higdon. Where's Michael Higdon? Where's he at? Michael Higdon got baptized a couple weeks ago. So... Uh, <clears throat> Brady Williams, the guy in the beautiful Tennessee pullover, baptized him. So, um, way to go, B-Dub. One other announcement. One other announcement is uh, the journey of parenting is Wednesday, September 14th. So, that's that's in a week. Um, Pretty cool deal. Ronnie's got a parenting guru coming in from California, J.H. Ranch. Uh, It's going to be from 630 to 815 right here. And if you have not registered, you need to register by texting 733-733-Parenting. Text parenting to 733-733. Okay, cool. So there's already like 450 people signed up. Uh, Ronnie has given it his full endorsement, which is certainly good enough for me. Uh, But, you know, if you got young ones or you want to have some young ones one day, uh, I think this will be an evening well spent. Man Challenge, raise your hand if you're new to Man Challenge. We won't do this the whole semester, but if we got some new guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Welcome to Man Challenge. You're in the right place. Uh, We have a lot of values here. One of them is confidence and competence in who Jesus is. Sounds simple. You're like, this is a Christian church. We talk about things of Christ. Of course, we want to know who Jesus is. We want to have confidence 
and, and who Jesus is and who he claims to be, who the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our culture maybe necessarily, but the Jesus of the scriptures and confidence and how to walk in that faith, right? And so I just wanted just to give you all a word. A, a huge piece of my story is uh, through the works of Lee Strobel, who's a powerful apologetics writer. And if you guys are wanting a little more confidence, a little more competence in who Jesus is, man, check out Lee Strobel's books. He's got a whole series of Case for Christ, Case for Creator, Case for Faith, Case for Grace, Case for Easter, Case for the Real Jesus. He's got a whole bunch of different books. But he was an investigative reporter who turned his energy to try to disprove Christianity. He was an atheist, and in his pursuit of disproving Christianity, ended up becoming a Christian uh, and now is one of the most famous Christian authors in the world. He's a Harvard grad, which makes him a lot smarter than me. Um, And so his writings when I was a new believer, really uh, convicted me about, man, what's in the scripture, I can believe, is the written word of God. There is proof, uh, whether it's historical proof or experiential proof, or some of it's just uh, kind of the preponderance of evidence. When you, If you're studying a, a case, like, is this believable or not believable? Um, and so I would just throw, uh, throw that out there as a recommendation. If you guys are looking for some good reading, I know a lot of you guys... Uh, do a lot of reading. Check out Lee Strobel, uh, huge uh, asset to strengthening your faith. So with that, I'm going to bring out today's speaker, Terrence Terman. You guys give it up for him. What's up, T? What's up? What's you up? good? Yeah, man. So uh, for the uninitiated here, Terrence works here at church, uh, is Spoke here at Man Challenge a number of different times. You guys have probably seen him uh, up on stage. But give us a little background about how long you've been here at church and what your exact role is. Yeah, so I've been here at Southeast uh, for five years. Um, I've had different roles. I used to be single adults pastor. I, that's what I initially came to do. Then I went over to Indiana for a couple years. I was the Connections pastor over in Indiana. And now I work in the Highlands neighborhood. Uh, we have an office really close to like Twig and Leaf. And we've been there... Twig and Leaf. Yeah, yeah real close, right yeah. behind Twig and Leaf. We have a second floor office. We've been there since August of uh, 2020, so right in the middle of the shutdown. Me and a guy named Chad Mostella, some of you might know, a guy named Cameron Rich, some of you might know. We're a team down there, and we've been in that neighborhood trying to just build relationships, see what doors are open, mm-hmm. start small groups, you know, really involved on campus at Bellarmine through FCA. That's been like an easy avenue to get to a campus that's not really arms wide open to Protestant ministries, right? And then I think um, and really serving the impoverished community that kind of goes unseen in the Highlands. You think about the Highlands, you think yeah. about, you know, the culture wars that are going on, but you also think about really rich people. But there are a bunch of people who are just really poor that's lived in the Highlands for a long time that kind of go unseen. And we've just seen God provide us opportunities to serve those people and get to know them. And so we've started uh, some uh, recovering support groups in there, mental health groups, um, just a lot of cool things that God's yeah. doing that are just real simple, just saying, hey, what's the need and how can we serve them? So. That's awesome. Tell us about your family. Yeah, so uh, my wife's name is Brittany. We've been married for 11 years, together for 13 um, you know, we uh, have four children, three boys, one girl. Uh, my boys, my oldest boys will be 10 and 8 this month. And then we have a four-year-old boy. And then we have a one-year-old girl. Um, so, yeah, it's been awesome, man. We're super busy. Um, ain't nobody with many kids know what their life is like. My wife also works here at the church. Um, and she serves in a support role here. And so, uh, man, we're, man, we're pedal to the metal every day but Saturday. 
I hear you. you know. I hear you. Well, we'll have a little mini table time here. What's yeah. God teaching you as a father of four uh, <laughs> and with, with two people working in the home? What's God teaching you about being intentional at home? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, number one thing for me has been it's, just saying it's, it's okay. Like, just learning that it's okay. Like, um, you know, when the house is not how you thought it should be, when you go to bed at night, it's okay. Um, when you eat peanut butter sandwiches for dinner, it's okay. <laughs> like, when your kids watch two hours of TV and they got peace in the house, it's okay. It's okay to have quiet. Right, right. it's okay. It's okay to have quiet. It's really okay to have you know, quiet. Because I know what I'm doing. I know the intentionality. I know how important it is to my kids. Um, I just, I, I've learned. I've been, I've been listening to this podcast. It might be helpful for some of you, man. It's called Calm Parenting Podcast. This is a guy, he started a ministry to help drill sergeants become better parents, you know. So that was the, the, wow. the focus of the ministry. And it's just evolved into helping all parents, and this guy is really awesome. And uh, one of the things that he helped me realize is that a lot of times when I parent in this visceral way, I'm parenting out of my wounds, I'm parenting mm -hmm. out of my shadow, out of my insecurity, and I'm trying to prevent my kids from having their experiences that will shape them. And our kids need their experiences. So sometimes when our kids wake up and they're stinky, we need to send them to school stinky so that kids can say, hey, you stink. <laughs> right? So that our kids will then care because sometimes from us it just doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. But when a peer says you stink or when a peer says your shoes are dusty, like then your kids will say, okay, I need to clean my shoes. I need to take a bath. And so just learning to let your kids have their experiences and, and, and they'll be okay. I'm going to tell my wife our pastor at church said that. So that's all right. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, man. Send them stinky. It's yeah, good. go ahead. I can't wait to hear you preach, man. Let's, let's yeah. pray. Father God, uh, we just pause and say thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for Terrence and his heart. Thank you for uh, what you've put on his heart to share with us, Lord. I pray you just calm our minds, Lord. Allow us to be where our feet are and focus on your word and what you want to teach us this morning. Uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, how we can look more like you and uh, actually make an impact in, in this place, in this world, in this city, uh, to look more like you, to point people towards you, Lord. So we pray that you'd show us something new today. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, you know, I was quite surprised, man. I'm glad that, uh, you know, Lee Strobel and his books have really poured into you. I thought you would mention my book and how much it poured into you, man. It's just a shameless plug, man. You know, if you, if you don't want to read 300 pages, I got a book, 81 pages, just real good. Just go to Amazon, Terrence Terman, Seven Invitations to Heart Revival. It'll change your life more than Lee Strobel. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking, man. But yeah, that, that's, that's actually a real book. So if you want to support, please do. <laughs> um, man, so I'm excited to be with y'all, man. I've been here sitting at a table, so going through this series with you. And today, man, we're just going to be continuing in this series, looking at the book of 2 uh, Timothy, we're going to be picking up verses 7 through 12 today, all right? So if you want to go ahead and turn there, go ahead. The, the first couple weeks, you know, Chris and Ronnie kind of set us up. They walked through those introductory verses, those things that authenticated the letter was actually from Paul and kind of set his intention for the letter. And as we re-engage after having a week off, I kind of want to just make sure we fly back over that. Now, here's what I want to say. As we read this letter uh, I want to talk about the character of the letter first, and here's what you need to know about the character of this letter. Number one, this letter is deeply personal. It's deeply personal. And number two, it is personally specific. It is personally specific. It's deeply personal in the sense that Paul was 
nearing the end of his life and ministry. And with that reality likely came all the emotions and, and all the questions that any man could probably expect in such a situation. Many theologians and historians believe that this was sort of Paul's last will and testament. It was his heart laid bare in words. There's so much passion in each section that it was once said that 2 Timothy was not written in merely ink, but in Paul's lifeblood. To sum it up, this letter to Timothy was a letter of great urgency. It was a letter of legacy. Beyond all the churches he planted, Timothy was Paul's dearly loved spiritual son and one in whom he was entrusting the work of his life to. He was passing on this torch of ministry to Timothy, and in this letter you can feel the weight that comes with that responsibility. Likewise, this letter is personally specific. It's personally specific in the sense that Paul is writing to deal with very real and very specific leadership challenges that Timothy is facing. As we will continue to read and study together this semester, uh, Timothy had a lot on his plate. He had a lot on his mind, and because of that, these words of his spiritual father were meant to, to give his call a, a, a little girth and a little gusto. It was meant to help this early church leader deal with leading a church in a crazy culture and leading a church filled with unteachable hearts. Yeah, it's clear that this work of ministry was ready to take Timothy out. And Paul knew he needed to be reminded of who was on his side, who he was, and ultimately what he had been called to do. You know, I believe by God's grace, a letter like this is preserved for many reasons. And one specific reason, I believe, was to teach future generations like us discipleship. But also to remind us that simple yet powerful truth that our trailblazers might be heroes to us, but ultimately they were ordinary people like me and you that had to hold fast and firm to the hand of Jesus beyond their comfort to produce a testimony that would say to us in 2022, you go and do the same. This morning, I want to talk about what Paul so beautifully displays in this letter, in this entire letter. I want to talk about discipleship. I want to talk about discipleship. I know this is man-challenging. You know, you used to kind of have, you know, especially me when I get up here coming off, like, you know, dropping elbows and dropping knees and trying to wake you up this morning. Uh, but, but this morning, I think our section of Scripture lends itself to more to just uh, learning, just observing, and seeing what Paul is showing us and how we can apply those things to our lives. And so we're going to be talking about discipleship. Now, I do know that for some of you, discipleship, that word makes no sense to you. You have no context for discipleship. It is a brand new word. Maybe you've heard it twice since you've been here. So I want to make sure I define some, some terms for you. Number one, uh, a disciple. Let's talk about what a disciple is. Excuse me. A disciple is simply a kind of student, all right? And in our context, a disciple is uh, a student uh, that is pursuing relationship with Jesus. Simple definition for a disciple is a student pursuing relationship with Jesus. A disciple maker is a kind of teacher, right? 
This is a more mature follower of Jesus pouring into somebody that's just a little bit behind them, right? And then discipleship is the journey of that relationship. All right, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, all right? I always tell people, listen, when I sit down with a guy and I'm using these new kind of Christian terms that I want them to grasp, if it helps you, just think about teacher and student. Uh, a lot of this stuff is transferable, honestly, man, to father and son, and, and boss and employee, and leader. I couldn't think, it was like leady. I don't know if there's even a word, leader and leady, leader and follower, I don't know. But whatever word kind of helps you kind of grasp where we're going, I want you to keep those words in the back of your mind, but don't, it doesn't hurt to learn these new words like discipleship, disciple, and disciple, disciple maker, because I believe they're going to be important for your life if you keep coming to a place like this. All right, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and jump to 2 Timothy. I'm going to read our passage for us. Again, we're picking up at verse 7. We're going to read to verse 12. Here's what it says. <clears throat> for God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Bless the reading of God's word this morning. What I want to do is I just want to really look at our passage, and I just want to pull out three discipleship lessons from Paul. So if you want to write down a title, that's a simple title, Three Discipleship Lessons from Paul. As we read, the very first lesson that I see is that healthy discipleship builds up and leads out in Christ. Healthy discipleship builds up and leads out in Christ. After getting through the pleasantries that authenticated this letter, Paul wastes no ink and jumps right into the hard work and the heart of his purpose in writing. Uh, speaking directly to Timothy's state of mind and emotional struggle, we read in verse 7, Paul giving Timothy a reminder of both God's faithfulness and God's provision. He says to Timothy, hey, that, that Holy Spirit, that helper, that, that counselor, that, no, that, that one that Jesus promised, that, that, that every believer gets, that one that lives inside of you, that spirit is not accompanied by fear and doubt. No, no, the fear and doubt that you're feeling, Timothy, that is your spirit. But, but, but the spirit of God in you is one that is accompanied by power. It's one that is accompanied by love. It's one that is accompanied by a clear mind. I want to remind you, Timothy, that God did not call you to be scared. <laughs> In this moment, he's given to Timothy a certain truth about God 
that doesn't waver according to our circumstances. He's calling Timothy out of this place of defenselessness into a posture of boldness and assurance that this truth right here remains true no matter what. God's grace is sufficient. Now, this sufficiency and and testimony of God's spirit was not just something Paul knew intellectually, but, but something he experienced and lived through. He says that much in another letter he wrote to an early church in a letter we call 2 Corinthians. In that letter, Paul speaks about his thorn in the side, and we've debated a lot about what that thorn in the side was, but this thorn in the side, Paul says, was something that God allowed to remain in his life to keep him from being conceited. And here's what he said in chapter 12, starting in verse 8. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love that verse. And interesting enough, like many of Paul's letters, these letters written from the pit of hardship often began with a greeting from two people. I guess you can figure it out. The Apostle Paul and our boy Timothy. The very man that Paul is talking to in this letter, trying to call him to boldness and a sincerity of heart and a passion for the gospel, was with Paul when he experienced many of the things that he's talking about and penned this letter. In fact, some historians believe that by this time, Timothy was actually just transcribing for Paul. So Paul was speaking and Timothy was writing. So the very man who probably penned these words of Paul now needed to hear them for himself. And I love that Paul leads out from his experience. He's bringing his spiritual son back to the reality of something he already knew and had been modeled for him. He'd seen it up close. He'd seen it very personally. He knows the truth that that clinging to Christ is always the answer to hardship and crisis in our lives. And I hope you know that. I hope that you've come to a place that you understand that clinging to Jesus is always the answer in hardship and crisis. I love the passage. I came across it uh, three weeks ago in Hebrews 12. And it says, uh, hey, talking to Christians, it says, hey, view hardship as discipline. It It didn't get a caveat for the hardship. It just said, hey, view the hardship in your life as discipline. That's an invitation for us to say, hey, when we're going through something hard, we begin to ask God, God, what do you want to do? What is it that you're requiring of me in this moment? Where are you trying to take me for the next season of life? What are you trying to pull out of me for somebody else? And I think Paul needed to remind Timothy of that truth. And needed to bring his focus back to the purpose of his mission and to the call of the gospel. 
Let me pause right there and just ask a question, though. Table leaders, fathers, husbands, disciple makers, bosses, coaches, leaders, men. What are you modeling in times of hardship and crisis? Does your life express outwardly build up and lead out? Would a Timothy in your domain or under your care find a picture of the gospel in your leadership? Are your words of encouragement and correction seasoned with your testimony of God's goodness towards you? Have you allowed others to see your ugly so that your wisdom carries weight? Paul did. So this letter means something. If we're going to walk in discipleship like Paul, our words got to mean something. Here's the second lesson I see. I see this, that healthy discipleship is always grounded in the gospel. The healthy discipleship is always grounded in the gospel. I was reading this book uh, by Pastor Russell Moore uh, this year called Onward. Uh, I bought the book four years ago and kind of when, whenever I think Lifeway or whatever was closing down, I just kind of went there and grabbed everything. It's like 50 cents. I'm like, I don't care. I got like 10 Craston Crown CDs that I ain't listened to. Like I just like bought everything. I'm like, I could, I could resell it. I thought I was going to become an Amazon reseller or something. But all that stuff is just in my, in my basement. Um, but I decided to pick up this book and read it because I, I really did want to read it. And there comes a section in that book, man, where, that really convicted me about uh, the Christian church and, and our means of discipleship that has kind of in our minds worked up until this point. And he, he says this line, he says that, unfortunately, Christian values has always been more important than the Christian gospel. And what he's pointing to is this fact that Christian values are digestible for people. And for us sinful folks who love comfort, we'll lean into that versus just leaning into the gospel in our disciples. So we will settle for saying this is a Christian value. I remember being on campus and, and thinking about pledging a fraternity. And I actually went, I was actually going through with the process. And I, and I was starting to get concerned about some of the stuff they were having me do. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm like, okay, this is, this is really concerning to me. All right? Uh, and I started asking questions. I was like, man, I thought this was a, I thought this was a Christian organization. It's like, well, well, we, are, we, are, we, got, we got Christian principles. Brotherly love, service. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I can see that. But do you know what that led to? That still led to a bunch of debauchery, a bunch of sin, a bunch of uh, craziness that happens right now on college campuses. But I would imagine that if that organization had grabbed a hold of the Christian gospel, that the type of men they were producing through their organization might look a lot different to the word. And I think that's the case for us in our discipleship. Right after reminding Timothy of a major implication of his faith in Christ, Paul grounds his encouragement to Timothy in that gospel I was talking about. He tells Timothy to displace his shame and to carry his cross. He's reminding Timothy that everybody won't see it the same way as you. That there will always be scoffers and there will always be people in your proximity who don't necessarily like your proximity to Christ. 
There are going to be people in your life that don't like your proximity to the people of God. Because, listen, an authentic proximity to Christ will always produce authentic conviction in somebody else. If you're truly connected to the vine in your life, just by its essence, will produce, produce conviction in somebody. And people don't like that. And he's telling Timothy, listen, this will always be the case as long as you carry the mantle to preach this gospel. You will offend somebody. But he says, stand firm. I believe if Paul was face to face with Timothy in this moment, he would say something like, Timothy, listen, son, the, the essence of your calling, the, the substance of your faith, the, the power of your ministry has no source without your constant need for a Savior and the constant work of that Savior. And so I stand here face to face with us, and I want to say that to you. I want to say to every man in this room, your, your faith, your calling, your, your career, your discipleship, your evangelism, your fight against sin, your, your striving for holiness, all the things you hold firmly to have no value no true substance, no real power without a poor spirit and a reliance on the Savior, Jesus Christ. Anything that you're trying to do in your own strength will surely fall on his face. And so he grounds his discipleship to Timothy in the reality that, Timothy, you can't do it on your own anyway. So what you afraid of? I mean, let, let, let's look at our passage. Let's look at it. Let's just see how much God is in control. I'm, I'm, I'm at verse 8, let's, let's see what it says. It says, it says don't, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord of, or of his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, God's power, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace. That's Jesus, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. That was Jesus this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death. That's Jesus and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Guess who else did that? Jesus. So any moment that we find ourselves feeling like it's on us to produce something, it's on our skill, it's on our ability, it's on our strength. I think we've lost the gospel. I think we're, we need to settle is in this place that, and it sounds cheesy sometimes, but like I can't do nothing without Jesus. I can't breathe without Jesus. I can't go to sleep at night without Jesus. I can't eat without, I'm a big boy, but listen, I can't eat without Jesus. It's his grace that he allowed me to eat bad food. Like, he should spite me the moment I go get that triple cheeseburger, get the Dave's triple. Come on now. The Dave's triple, Terrence. I bet when they hear me come up to the speaker and hear Dave's triple, they're like, what? For real? Dave triple? They come to the big old joke is. Dave double enough, man. Come on. But for real. <laughs> Paul is saying to Timothy and us, he's, he's saying, listen, man, your salvation, 
and your sanctification, your, your conviction and your commitment, your, 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 your forgiveness of your uncertain past and the guarantee of your most certain future all finds its center on Jesus Christ and him crucified, him resurrected, him at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf, the one who is coming back in glory one day to set all things right, to make all things new. If we could figure it out on our own, then he wouldn't need to come back to make all things new because we could just make all things new. But I think the fact that he comes back to make it new is a sign for us to know that we can't do it without him. I love this verse in John 6.29 because I think it just grounds us back into what Jesus asked of people. John 6, 29, Jesus says this, the only work God wants from you is this, believe in the one he has sent. That's it. He said, that's the only work that God has for you, to believe in the one that he has sent. So to Timothy in this time and to us today, let us all work from the place of the first work, a true unwavering belief in Jesus, a true and unwavering belief in his words, a true and unwavering belief in his ways. And I believe if we settle there, then our discipleship will just ultimately flow from there because you pour out what you believe in. So if you believe in Christian values and you believe in Christian principles, then all your discipleship is going to be is Christian values and Christian principles, one-liners. If you believe in self-will, then when you disciple people, you're just going to call them to self-will. Hey, man, you just stop going to the website. Just, just, just grab it by the horns, man. Looking like Hulk Hogan at the, at the coffee table. Come on, brother. <laughs> like, the truth of the matter is there's just some people who don't have the same struggle as other people. And so what may, what may not be a temptation to you might be a temptation to somebody else. But So they need Jesus' power, just like you need Jesus' power in another place in your life. So we always got to point people back to the true reality and say, man, listen, nothing in our life matters if it doesn't center and finds its power and substance and value on what Jesus has already done for us. Here's my last point, third and last point. Healthy discipleship walks in certainty. Healthy discipleship walks in certainty. I love this quote uh, by Charles Spurgeon. Some of y'all know who that is. He had a pretty nice beard like me. I think mine is better, but I think he was a better preacher. But here, here's what he says. He says, to trust God in the light is nothing, but to trust him in the dark, that's faith. To trust God in the light is nothing, but to trust him in the dark, yeah, that's faith. I think that quote helps us better understand Paul's final words to us this morning as he models for us the mindset of certainty. Let's remind ourselves what he said. In verse 11, he says, For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, 
and the teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what he has entrusted to me until that day. If that's not a man trusting God in the dark, I don't know what is. I believe he put that line there to tell Timothy, listen, Timothy, when you were just my sidekick and I was really going through a lot of the mess, it was easy for you to kind of run with the punches, right? Because you weren't really the focus of everything. But now you're in that seat. And there's nothing like being in that seat for yourself to understand what it feels like to have the enemy pressing against you. It's one thing to watch other people go through it and watch the enemy press against them, and we kind of get a glimpse of it. But, but until you get in that seat where it feels like the enemy is just closing in on your life and everything that is valuable to you is liable to be taken away in a moment, that there's nothing like it. In those moments, you begin to clearly see how weak we are, but you can't allow your weakness, right? You can't allow your weakness to become helplessness. It has to go back to what we just talked about. We have to settle it into a certain truth about who God is and, and who the Jesus we serve is. As I read those verses, I see three key elements in Paul's mindset. I see that Paul has alignment. I see that Paul understands what his assignment is, and I see that Paul has extreme attention to detail. If you've ever played any sport, you've heard some variation of those three things. My coach called them game maxims, and he would go through these, felt like a list of 70 things that he would just yell at us before the game. And out of all the things he had, I always remember these three because they were more pertinent to me as an offensive lineman. Right? My alignment, my assignment, and my attention to detail was extremely important in every play. You know, right now I coach uh, youth football over here in Middletown, and it's fun. It's like my therapy right now. Uh, but it's funny, too, because sometimes I get to watch these kids, and, and I get to just, I get to sometimes look in the mirror of, like, the moments I had with my coaches. And without a doubt, the biggest issue for my linemen when they move slow off the ball or, or when they go the wrong way, because that happens a lot in eight-year-old football, they go the wrong way and get somebody killed. All right. Before the quarterback said, down said, hut, there was a lack of certainty somewhere in their alignment, somewhere in their assignment, or somewhere in their details. Like, I asked questions like, did, did you get your head on the right side of the block? Did you get your hands inside? Hey, did, son, did you even hear the play in the huddle? Or quarterback, did, did you get all the way under the center? Because I know sometimes you don't like to put your hand up there on this crotch, you, and you kind of do this, <laughs> right? Like, did you run a five or a seven? Like, did you do a three-step drop or seven? Like, did you set your feet? We begin to ask all these questions of these kids. And ultimately, what ends up happening is we realize their alignment, their assignment, or their attention details were off. Usually, I yell something like, son, what are you doing? My favorite line is, hey, bro, 
We don't teach that in our program. I don't know what you're doing. No coach has ever taught you to get in the stands like that. I promise you. I mean, it amazes me what eight-year-olds can't do. I'm like, I thought y'all were so flexible and stuff. Like, you can't get in the stands? What's going on? And usually I'm yelling and I'm loud and the kid comes over. He's kind of sad. And eventually I pull the kid to the side. And I explain to him what he needs to know. I fix his alignment. I say, hey, son, when you go up to the line, make sure you got about a, a half foot uh, split, man. That's how we like our splits. You don't want to be right on top of the center's foot because when you step, you're going to step on his ankle. Then he ain't going to be able to go right. All right so I want you to, and him, listen, man, make sure your feet ain't too wide. You, you get up there like this. You can't move like that, man. Bring your feet in a little bit, all right? And listen, you got to be able to see what you're going to hit. So get your eyes up, all right? Listen, you're going to have to get loose in your hips, man. It's going to hurt a little bit when you first do it, but you got to get used to the pain, and then it'll be natural for you. All right? I want you to see what you're hitting, all right? Now, when we, when we call a play that is an odd number, you know that we're running to the left side of the ball, right? So just remember, if I hear an odd number, I'm blocking to the left. You just need to block the man in the gap to your left. That makes sense to you? All right, now here's why you got to do that, man. Because if you don't, our poor quarterback's going to get killed. Right, and we can't afford to lose him. He's our best player. He's our middle linebacker, quarterback, and touchdown machine. All right? We don't have him. We don't win no more games. You want to win games? All right. Do the right thing. We good? All right. In that moment, I'm doing nothing different than what we find Paul doing right here. From the beginning of this letter, he says, hey, 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 Timothy, hey. What you doing, bro? We ain't scared. We bone crushing. We never scared. Come on, man. What you doing? I didn't teach you that. I didn't teach you that. If you hung out with Apollos, Apollos didn't teach you that. If you ever met Peter, Peter didn't teach you that because he learned from himself. He learned not to be afraid. Peter ain't teach you that. Your grandma or your mama ain't teach you that. And I know the Holy Spirit ain't teaching you that, so what you doing? Then he says, hey, man, let me remind you of some things. Let me, let me remind you of your assignment. Let me tell you about this assignment and how simple it is. And then let me give you some attention to this. Let me, let me just show you how you anchor yourself in that. You anchor yourself in that by believing in Christ more than you believe in yourself. Right? He, he just teaches his disciple. It's a simple yet powerful truth. I love the fact that Paul does this because it convinces me that somewhere in his life, this happened for him. That it was made clear to him who he was, who he was serving, and what he was called to do. And from that place of certainty, he's leading Timothy towards his own growth. I mean, I, I think... I think after everything that's, that's been said this morning, uh, that's the call for us. That's the challenge, if I had to give a challenge. Uh, that we, as men of God, will walk in certainty with Christ. That we will walk in certainty with Christ. In a world that is always looking for and offering exceptions and alternative theories, fake gods and endless ways to liberation. Uh, let's be men who, who center ourselves 
on who we've been called to be. Let's be men who unashamedly carry our crosses, persuaded that the one who carried the greater cross has everything under control. And from that place, from that place of certainty, let us point those in our sphere of influence towards what we know best about our God, that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is forever true. Forever true. If you're in this room and that's not your experience with God, that you heard me stand up here for however many minutes and talk about grounding your life in Jesus and walking in certainty with Jesus and, and being shaped by the gospel, but that's not your story. I can just, I just want to tell you, just like every week, man, that can be your story. Right? I'm, I'm no high-pressure salesman, but can I tell you that there's nothing better than to have an, a certainty about your eternity? I bet if you came in this room, you would probably say there's some things that's certain about, about your life. Because I know before I came to Jesus, I thought there was some things that were certain about my life. I knew what my future was going to hold. I knew what my wife was going to look like and what kind of body she was going to have. My wife looks good. She got a good body. I'm thankful. All right. I knew what kind of kids I was going to have. Boy, I got slapped in the face with the first son I had. It's a blessing he's playing football right now because he hates contact, right? You learn these things. But can I tell you, I remember growing up, there was, there was a saying, and you probably heard it, something like this, but like, on the playground or with my brother, you get in a fight, say, you know, you better, you better back up, boy. You better pick that up. And the best combat line was, listen, I ain't got to do nothing but stay black and die. That's it. I ain't got to do nothing but stay black and die, bro. And that was fighting words. That was me saying, I ain't picking up nothing because I'm certain about those two things. But everything else, I ain't certain you can whoop me. So we're going to have to learn whether or not you can whoop me. And then maybe the next time I'll say, okay, I'll pick that up. <laughs> but we're going to have to learn first. Can I just tell you, man, that's not a way to go about life. If you could be certain about anything, be certain about your eternity. There are men in this room who have walked your path that have had the same questions that you have. And there's a Jesus that wants to answer every question you have. And he's saying, listen, you don't have to have every answer to get started. You just have to have a heart that wants this relationship with Jesus. And over time, he will answer your questions. So that's my challenge to you. If you don't know Jesus, lean in. Accept Jesus today. If you're coming to this room every week, you're already doing half of it. You're already a part of the fellowship of believers. Become a believer. Join the family. Let these people, let these men, let this church, let the Spirit of God, let it care for you and mature you and grow you. I think we got some questions that'll come up on the screen. I won't read those to you, but take some time, dive into those questions. I'm going to pray for you to not get down. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that we've learned many things about you as we read about two men and their relationship. But we thank you that, Lord, you're faithful, that you're good, that you're forever true. Lord, help us in our discussion today. Help us to uh, go deeper. Lord, help us to do some evaluation of our own hearts. Lord, help us to cling to that gospel 
that Paul so beautifully clinged to and the one that he was calling Timothy to. Lord, we thank you for every man that made it to this room this morning. Lord, would you just multiply their time? Thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 